Welcome to the Brave Widow Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Jones. We help young widows heal their heart, find hope, and dream again for the future. everyone. Hi, this is Emily. I am so excited that you decided to join us today on this panel discussion of surviving the holidays. And we, this discussion is not rehearsed. We haven't exchanged a lot of notes. It's going to be an adventure to see where we go on this discussion journey. There are two main things that we really would like for you to walk away with. Number one would be some ideas and ways that you can survive the holidays personally when you're grieving and a loved one. And then the second one would be ideas for ways that you can honor your loved one during the holidays. So with that, I'm gonna let each of our speakers spend one to two minutes introducing themselves, sharing some of their background and what they do and where you can find more about them. So Dr. Roush, how about I start with you? Okay, I'm Dr. Clark Rausch, and I'm the endowed chair for the performing arts at York University in York, Nebraska, United States of America. And I, I, I keep what presence I can on Twitter, and Facebook, and and Instagram. And you you can find me there. And I try to use Instagram mainly just for inspirational things. But I respond a lot to, to other grieving people on Twitter. That, that's just my favorite platform because it's really hard to rant in the amount of characters that you get. And, and so I just prefer that one. And January 27th, 2020, at 3.30 p.m., I lost the queen, my wife, Sue, to a battle with pancreatic cancer. And so I am in the process of learning to fashion a new life around that loss because you don't get over it or through it or past it or anything. You just hopefully learn how to carry it. Yeah. Well said. Thank you so much for that. Suzanne. Hi, I'm Suzanne Ilvich and I'm based in the Peak District in the UK. So about halfway up level with Sheffield and Manchester. My husband died suddenly and unexpectedly from complications of type 2 diabetes in February 2018. So it's going to be coming up to five years after Christmas. Mm. I created the Widow's Handbook just over a year ago to provide... Guideline is too strong a word, but to provide backup for people who are grieving, because when you're bereaved young, you've not necessarily been through that many bereavements and you don't know, you don't know how it works. You don't know. I was the first of my group of friends to have a partner die. And so the Widow's Handbook is there to provide a resource for for people who are going through what I went through. You can find me on Facebook at the Widow's Handbook. I'm on Twitter at at Handbook Widows. Sorry, I don't write that down very often. And the Widow's Handbook is online as well, if you just search for it. And it's bits of my story and bits of how you can cope from day to day. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I think one of the things I love about watching you on Twitter as well is you'll say, I have a post on that, or I have some thoughts on that and just link an article right in there. So having that handbook concept is really great. All right, Carrie and Brittany with the Grief Box team. Okay. Hey, so I'm Brittany and this is my mom, Carrie. And we're joining you from San Diego, California. And we started our grief journey when we lost Jacob. He's my little brother and her son in a motorcycle accident on May 1st of this year. Mm. So this is actually our first holiday season that we are grieving and we are new to it. So we're looking forward to, you know, hearing from how y'all have gone through the holidays. We decided to turn our pain into art. We create care packages for other people who are grieving. Our company is called Grief Box. And you can find us online at grief-box.com or on Instagram at shopgriefbox. Awesome. And I will definitely put the links to everything you all shared in the show notes. So if you're listening and you're driving or mowing your lawn or whatever it is that you're doing, you'll have links to all of that. And I really just want to give some kudos to all the participants on today's panel. Each of these folks, they're givers, they're encouragers, they're people who want to help other people who are hurting. And I just think it's so incredible to be able to meet other people who want to be able to give back and just just help those that are hurting in life and who are are going through some of the same things that they went through. So just appreciate everybody doing that and participating today. Well, and Brittany, side note, my Southern heart just smiled when you said the word y'all. I don't get to hear that very often. <laughs> I try not to say it too often, but I just appreciate you being open and authentic. And I, I know you were dreading your first Thanksgiving. So I'm curious to hear, you know, how that went and how you all incorporated him <clears throat> into that celebration. But maybe we just start with the topic of just what insights or suggestions we would have for people that are just really dreading the holidays. So we just had Thanksgiving here in the U.S. We are going into Christmas and New Year's and those typical, I know there's many other holidays that get celebrated in that same time frame, but as people think about those special events where they've had oftentimes years and years and years with that individual present and they're no longer there, what what would you tell someone who's, this is their first time going through that, or maybe just their second time? What are some of your thoughts on how people can navigate that? I think one of the most important things is to absolutely positively lean in to all of the pain and how much it sucks. I, I, I just think that, that that's a part of better mental health. There's no way you can put a spin on the firsts that happens in, in that, in that whole first year, you know, for me, it was even, you know, she died in January, but so I had like 10 months, but I'd already had our first anniversary, you know, and, and man, I was a wreck. I was a holy wreck that first Thanksgiving. And that just made the people that love me say, you know, dad, maybe you, Maybe your dose of sertraline isn't high enough, <laughs> you know, and and things like that, and 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 so one of the things that we've always done in our family is, you know, what, what are the ways we keep them alive, and and so we we talked about them, and I personally believe 
in, in a way I can't describe in whatever liminal space exists. I, I think she's still helping me become everything that she always knew that I could be. I, I just can't tell you all of those ways or describe or, or define them. But one of the things that I've, I've very purposely done is I have a Sioux candle in my living room. And my now six-year-old granddaughter, she, she couldn't do GRs early in her speaking life. And so we became Amy and Papa because she couldn't say Grammy. And, and so this Thanksgiving in particular was the first time both sons and their wives and kids were all back in the nest here since she died. And so I actually had the six-year-old help me light the Sue and Amy candle and let her tell some stories, you know, that she remembered about, about Sue because when Sue was diagnosed, my six-year-old was two and she wanted at least another year of life. So the oldest, the, at that time, the only granddaughter would possibly have more memories of her. And she battled and, and she pulled that off, but you know, we still have, we still have her pictures and we still, you know, talk about her. And so I think that combination of, of being, it, it, it's okay, you know, to talk about these kinds of things, but it's also okay to just lean into the unbelievable hurt and pain that happens because coming up on three years, and, and I don't know if our, our, our screen friend here today feels this coming up on five, but in time, when you're new, you really don't want to hear this just like I didn't, but, but in time, and maybe the grief box thing has helped, but if we can do anything that adds purpose to the pain, because the pain is non-negotiable, it's, it's going to happen. And that's why I think we need to lean into it. Let the grief tsunamis do what they do, and maybe they'll pass a little bit faster. What can we learn from them? But then how can we be honest about our feelings? And then how can we learn to try to remember our, our people and eventually the happier memories instead of and, and remembering what we had in time more than just what we've lost? Oh, yeah, I think that's so great. And I remember even that first week or two of losing my husband, Nathan, I thought if nothing good comes out of this or there's no purpose to me being able to help someone else it would just feel like such a waste for me to have gone through all of that and what would be to come and not have a way of giving back or or being able to help someone else go through that Suzanne did you want to add some of your thoughts too yeah and I was one of the things that I did is I actually made a tradition of not having a tradition I mixed up Christmas Totally. So the first year I spent just very, very quietly, spent the afternoon with a couple of friends of my village who were friends of Tim's as well. And it was just very quiet, very low-key. I could arrive when I wanted to. I could leave when I wanted to. The next year, I took myself up to a, off to a shepherd's hut in the Lake District in a very rural area. And it was just me, a pile of books on my Kindle, some wood for the wood burner, food, some drinks, and just had a really, really chilled out Christmas. 
the next year I was supposed to be going away to a yurt, but we had lockdown and so that didn't work. But I just decided to mix things up, turn things around and just create a whole bunch of new memories because I had all the old memories and you can't recreate or I didn't feel that I wanted to recreate those. I just wanted to build something completely new. Oh, that's a great perspective. And one of the questions I hear a lot, and I'm sure there's people that are going to be watching that have the same question is, you know, people say the first year is the hardest, like the first round of events. And some people say the second year is the hardest, but do you have any thoughts on that? Like, does it get easier with time? Was one year harder for you than another year? Or what are your thoughts? I, I, my, my therapist, thankfully, warned me and I'm not trying to butt into anybody's life, but like I did not have the skill set. And this Enneagram three wing four, I was so cute. I'm like, am I going to knock out this therapy in like four or five or six months? And, you know, and 26 months later, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I'm beginning to learn to thrive as, as a single man. Warned me that sometimes year two is harder because in year one, I don't, I don't know what y'all family situation was like. My wife for 38 years was our accountant and bookkeeper. I didn't, she just let me live in la la land and read books and rehearse and conduct and inspire and motivate and all that kind of, I did not know what anything cost. And so the learning curve of doing what, many adults already had done, which is learning how to run my own financial life and what all that means. See, that's that's all the first year and getting in your groove. And then what that does for some people is it gives the brain extra space to just really hurt the second year. And and I'm glad I'm glad she warned me of that. You know, the first the first Christmas, I wasn't going to do anything. Because the January before, like two weeks before she died, she said, honey, go out and see if you can find a cheap tree somewhere. We need a new tree for next year. Well, I don't know what a cheap tree is. I don't know what they call. Well, okay, call me when you get out there. And, you know, so I bought one downstairs in the basement. And so, and so my kids were like, dad, you know, I'm gonna, are you going to put a tree up? And I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. And so my youngest son, bless him, he said, well, I would like, if, if you're not going to put up the tree, can we have the family ornaments? Because I would like to tell my daughter the stories that mom always used to tell us when we hung them. And so I decided, okay, get, get over yourself, you know, put up the tree. It's not just about you. You know, it's about more. They've all lost, you know? And, and so I did, and I'm telling you, I completely broke down and lost it when I pulled that tree out. Because it was supposed to be our first tree, not mine, and and um, so you, I, I I think in the second year, even though some of it was harder, I, I did begin to feel more smiles in my memories than than <laughs> you know you know kind of stuff, and and I I, I will say just. For, for anybody who's listening, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm a choir director and, and I've lived my whole life in, in the creative world and that's how I deal with everything. And so all of a sudden I found myself writing 
And I wrote over 60, what I call creative grief writings, trying to capture all the moods and phases of my grief journey. And I think I'm now up to three therapists who have said, you have got to get those things published. And, and so I'm, I, I, I'm working on that in, in some way, shape or form. But I think that is, I didn't set out to get them published. I, I was just trying to make sense of Clark and, and what he was going through and whatever your creative venue is, or if, if it isn't, you don't think you have one, you do, you may just not have used those creativity muscles in a while. I would encourage you to pour, pour some of your grief in, in, into that. What can you make? What can you do? There is something you can do besides just let it all happen to you. Yeah. Yeah, those are definitely, that's a lot of good pointers in there. And I can't remember if it's left brain or right brain, whatever side of your brain is connected with creativity is also connected with emotions. And that's why people tend to do like craft groups or writing groups or, you know, coloring for therapy, but just anything that's creative and has that outlet that helps you process some of those emotions and feelings that you don't normally would think about are necessarily associated with that. Suzanne, did you feel like future years got any easier for you or has it been about the same or what does that look like? I've written an article about this. The It's different. I'd say it's different rather than it's easier or harder. The, the first year it's fresh, it's raw. The second year you're in less shock. So things feel different, but as Clark said, some of the smiles do come back. So, yeah, I'd say that the balance is different, how it feels is different. Mm -hmm. And also, as I always say, everybody's grief is different as well. So yeah. different people are different in different years. Overall, things do get better. And they get different because one of the... One of the things I was told about grief very early on is you lose your past, your present and your future. So you're grieving who you were together, you're grieving who you are now and you're grieving what you would have done together. And that was Christmases and holidays and things like that. And so I'm now a new me and I'm now a very different me. I'm not the me I was before and I'm happy with who I am yes. but sometimes you think yeah but that's not who I was going to be but you create you create a new you yes yeah I think that's a beautiful way of putting it and I hate telling people oh the second year will be worse or a future year is going to be worse because in that first year you think I I feel like I want to die like how could it possibly be any worse than this so I do try to tell people, even though I'm still in my second year, that it, it, for me, it was more crisis management the first year and cool. just like following the motions. And the second year is more, oh, this isn't a nightmare. This is, it's just real now. And so you're trying to rebuild what your new normal looks like. And like you mentioned, getting comfortable with who do I want to be? Do I still have the same goals, the same hobbies, the same dreams? Um, especially if it's a spouse, there's so much of your identity tied up in that person and who you are together. 
mm-hmm. that that changes some of those things. Some of the tips that I try to give for people of surviving the holidays is, first of all, to just give yourself grace. And a lot of times that may mean setting boundaries or minimizing expectations. My husband, he would always do the turkey. He would do the sides for a lot of our family get togethers. I mean, he was just this big personality. He just lit up the room. He handled so much of hosting and entertaining and all that. And I lost him July of 21. And thinking about Thanksgiving, I just, it all seemed so overwhelming. So I just had to tell my family sorry, you'll, you'll have to find some place else to go to have Thanksgiving. And I won't even be there just because I didn't feel like I could go through that. And anybody would have any sort of good time or experience. Now we still did something as a family and we did something, even I hosted a little bit more for Christmas, but I think sometimes you have to give yourself that grace of, and be patient with yourself. Like you, in those first few months and year, you need time to heal and you don't want to pile on everyone else's expectations of what you should do or shouldn't do or how you need to help someone else when you really need to take care and, and focus on yourself. I'd also say announce your intentions early. So I told my family, Tim died in February, and I told my family quite early on that I wanted to be on my own for Christmas. And uh, that kind of stopped people asking me because otherwise you get, I've got a big family and you get all those lovely invitations and people mean really well. But I didn't want to be an add-on to anybody else's Christmas. And I didn't want to have to say no to them. So we've got a family WhatsApp group and I just put it out really early. This is what I'm doing, not... I'm thinking of doing this or I might be doing this, but this is what I'm doing. So it brought no discussions. It was that. And but also you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to say no to stuff. You're allowed to say yes to stuff and change your mind later. You're allowed to say no to stuff and then go, actually, can I? Would you mind if I came? So and I think that ties in with what you said, Emily, about giving yourself grace. You give yourself permission to do what you want to do. You can be as, I'm not going to swear. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. You can be as selfish, if you want to call it selfish. You can be as selfish as you like, but say, this is what I want to do. This is what I am going to do because you're allowed to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an excellent point. And I think you have to try to do it as much as you can without feeling guilty that you're letting other people down or, you know, I, there are so many people who want to help us and we don't let them at the same time. There are people who be very understanding if we state our intentions and make it clear of what we want and what we think we need at that time. Brittany and Carrie, how was your first Thanksgiving? Did you keep things small? Did you do anything different that you mind to share with, with our audience? So we had our immediate family, which is my husband, myself, Brittany, her younger brother, Caleb, who's married and has a little boy. So they were all there. And then my youngest son, Isaac, who's 11. And then my we went to my mother-in-law's house. So it was just 
Oh, and then your friend, mm -hmm. Natalie. So she was friends with Jacob as well, who is the one, our son that died, my son that died. So it was just the nine of us. So it was pretty small. And we made, we wanted Jacob to be with us at the table. And that's why we designed these wreaths that we would put on a plate with a candle in the middle that we would light during our meal. And then had a eternity ring photo frame that I designed that has a little clip at the top and you can put a picture in the front facing the plate and one facing the back. So other people around the table could see a picture of your loved one. And we had one, my mother-in-law bought one. <laughs> so she had her husband, my father-in-law in her eternity frame. And then we had Jacob in ours. So we, that just allowed us to say, Hey, we want you to talk about Opa who is the, my father-in-law and Jacob, that they're here with us. And it was very nice. We shared stories, some stories that you can imagine a 22 year old boy has some <laughs> stories that maybe mom doesn't want to hear, <laughs> but yeah, we shared stories. I, I love hearing the stories, even if they're hard to hear, but yes, we just wanted him there at the table and he was. That's great. It's such a beautiful way to include your loved one as part of the conversation. I think like Dr. Roush said, you have to lean into it. So you don't want to make the holidays or the dinners something where it's the elephant in the room, right? Like we don't want to bring that person up. We don't want to talk about it. It's going to make, it's going to make the, their person sad. It's just going to bring down the whole holiday, like just embrace it and talk about them like they're still here or share some memories and stories of things that they did. And I think what you've put together with the the place setting is a great way to say, you know, we're all acknowledging that person would be here with us today if they could. And we're going to include them as part of this, but it doesn't have to be, and maybe the first few times it is, but after a certain time, it doesn't always have to be a somber, sad affair, right? It can just be a nice tribute to who they were and who they were in your life and still be part of the family and, and things that you all do. So I think that's a really great idea. I know some people will reserve specifically a chair for their loved one, you know, during the holiday, or people might actually do something specifically to recognize that person while they're there. So thank you for sharing that with us. I'm sure that was not easy, but it will, I think, become less painful over time, the more that you continue to have those events. So I think that's a good segue into talking about what are some ways that we can honor or remember our loved ones during the holidays. So Dr. Roush or Suzanne, anything else that you, you all would like to add on things that you've done in the past? I treat myself to something. I buy myself a present or I make a donation to a charity or something like that. And I don't necessarily say, oh, this is my present from Tim. But that's the kind of intention that there's a something, a something special. My, you know, everybody's, everybody's grief journal or, or journey is different. And for anybody that's going to hear this in, 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 the, in the future, I, I just really want to sincerely communicate. It is not a competition. If, if you're going through this, it sucks to be you. But it's not a competition to where I'm ever going to turn around to my boys and say something like, well, 
I'm sorry you lost your mom, but you didn't lose your wife. You know, it's it, it, it's horrible for everybody uh, that's dealing with it. And, and so we deal with it in the ways that we can. And my oldest son is the executive chef, the country club here in town. And anytime there is a special occasion that the whole family is not together, then I take the last picture that was taken of the two of us during the Thanksgiving before she died. And I take it to the country club and I text my son ahead of time. And I said, I'm having dinner with mom tonight and I want a reservation. So be sure they set a different, I want everything. I want, I want the plate. I want the glass. I want the cloth napkin. I want a complete other place setting. Mm -hmm. And then I, I place that picture in the chair so that she can have, so, so that we can have a date like we used to have and go out like we used to have. And I remember the, the first time I did that, he, he came home at the, at the end of the shift, he was living with me at the time. And since he's married and, and off on his own, but he said, well, dad, he said, I'm always glad to see you, but I had to bring your food to you tonight because none of the servers <laughs> could stop crying. <laughs> and, you know, that was not my intent, but, but also, you, you know, there's a point in especially survival mode where you're really being like, okay, I'm laying my head on my pillow tonight and I'm still alive. So this is like a victory you know, and kind of stuff. And I, I just couldn't afford to care if other people thought I wasn't trying to be romantic or sensitive. I was just trying to survive and spend some time with the love of my life. And that's the only way I could do it. And, and so that, that day, even she used to have a seance or something in the jacuzzi tub. I mean, that music would be going and the candles would be going and she'd be in there for like, I don't even, not, I don't know how her skin wasn't wrinkled for life, you know. Um, so, so what did I do? I, I went and I did that. And before her first anniversary, we kind of had one of these for like our intimate circle. And I made a Spotify playlist, like three and a half hours of music that Sue loved. And I listened to that all day. And I cried and I took a bath which I generally don't because it's like sitting in your own dirt, you know, but, and, and then I went out and had the fancy meal and she was with me. And, and I, I, I just literally felt like I have to do this and I'm not doing it to try to be anything to anybody else. I, I, this is just what I have to do. And I think people, that's part to me of what you said about giving yourself grace because this thing called grief brain is, is like, wow, you know, and you walk into a room and then you stop and I'm like, why did I come in here? And oh my gosh, I, at least if you're married and you're listening to this, between COVID and my wife being an extrovert, my, my address book has completely changed because I'm an introvert. And, and she was my socializer. 
you know, I just pray I could find somebody to ask a question to and wind up in the corner for half an hour talking, you know, and that kind of stuff. Well, my address book has totally changed between COVID and between her death. And I'm not frustrated or angry at anybody because we're all dealing with loss in our lives in, in, in various forms and the various ways we can. I just want some people to be able to expect some of those things because they were surprises for me. And, and, and maybe if you're just, if, if you've heard from other, if you start experiencing that, you're not alone. The, these things are, are real things that can happen. And if I said nothing else of, of value to you, your grief is yours. And I, I doubt you can do it the wrong way. Yeah, I think that is something that's a big surprise to people is how much your social social circle changes, especially if that was something you did a lot with with your loved one and the person that you lost. So people yeah, I mean, that double I thought, out of the question. Yeah. I mean, now I'm the third wheel or I'm the, you know, creeper old guy or whatever, you know, but, you know, every everything just completely changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's hard because you have this thought maybe in subconsciously of who are the people in my life that I know they're going to be there for me. They're going to show up, you know, after the first few weeks or months, they're still going to be there. And maybe they aren't the way you thought they would, but then you might have another small group of friends or family that you didn't really think that they would be for you, there for you as much mm -hmm. as they actually were. That's been very common with a lot of people that I've spoken to. And, um, it is surprising, but it's nice to know that there are people out there that, that care about you and you can now make your social circle what you want it to be, whether you want to go out and do much or you want to, you want to stay at home. I, I um, call those people my Avenger squad. It's <laughs> great. I'm well, a hardcore introvert and I hated networking, but I quickly realized how small my circle was outside of my sphere of work. And so I've really had to put myself out there and I have actually enjoyed getting to know people that have similar interests or things that they're trying to pursue too. So I would like to add something about um, a meal preparation. So we have a friend that's also a chef and Jacob's birthday was in September and he asked, well, what's Jacob's favorite food? And so we told him the three items that was really his love and the chef made an appetizer of those foods in a special way. It was mm -hmm. the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. Wow. What a blessing. Yeah. yeah. That's such a lovely idea. Yeah, it really is. So a few ideas that I also jotted down for people, if, if you're listening and you're looking for some ideas, some of these I, I haven't done, but I thought were really creative. One thing I have done is uh, last year for Christmas, I hung Nathan's stocking up like normal. Like there was this weird, do we put it up? Do we not put it up? Does it go on the side? What do we do with it? But I did put it up and I still bought some of his favorite treats and little things that I knew he would like. And so it was a nice way of kind of keeping him there as part of the family. And then also on Christmas day, I got to enjoy as a bonus, some of the, his favorite things that he liked and that he enjoyed. So similar to, you know, listening to their favorite playlist or eating some of their favorite foods, just anything you can do to enjoy some of their favorite things. Um, just quickly, a few other ideas that people have had are 
taking some Christmas ornaments and maybe writing memories on them or getting some that you can open and putting memories in them to hang them on the tree. Some people have created a like table runner or a tablecloth with pictures of their family or favorite person and had that printed and put out on the table. I thought that was a cute idea. And some people have had like a scavenger hunt when they have family over or kids over and they hide memories all around the house and have the kids go hunt them down and then just read them when they're all together. And lastly, some people have created a memorial like website or Facebook page and they ask people to go on there and share some of their favorite memories about their person and then reflect on that during the holidays. So those are a few extra ideas for people out there if you're you're really trying to come up with something. I want to add something really controversial here, that if you want to, you can ignore Christmas completely. If you want to, you can shut your door from, and we have Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day and the UK are all holidays. But if you want to, you can shut the door. You can watch your favourite movies. You can binge on box sets. You can switch the radio and the television off so you don't hear any Christmas music. You can switch social media off. You can go for a walk in the hills. You really don't have to do it if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. You do you. It's there's no there's no written law that you have to have Christmas. Yeah, that reminds me. Have you seen that movie or or read that book by John Grisham, The Skipping Christmas? Essentially, him and his wife decide to go on a cruise for Christmas, and it's kind of a you know, a bit of a comedy. It's got Tim Allen in it. So take that for what it's worth. But a lot of people do practice that same concept of, you know, I'm going to go travel for the holidays, or I'm going to do something just completely out of the norm. And I echo what you say that it's perfectly fine to do that. Do what speaks to you and what is going to make it the easiest for you to, as you move forward in your journey. Just another option for people, just because it speaks to me, you know, concerts are still a big event in my life and so my in the little like jewelry bag that houses the cufflinks for my tuxedo I have my wedding band and I always slip that down into my pocket when I go conduct because she was always my biggest fan and cheerleader And, you know, I'd pull into the garage and there would be the smell of a meal and, and all of that. And all the little things that change is I'm done with my tux. And back when I had hair, she'd always, she'd always, I'd be on my way out. She'd be like, stop, 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 sweetheart. And I would. And so she'd get a comb and you know she'd fix the back and she'd check the bow and be sure everything was just right and when everything was then she'd grab me by the shoulders and she'd say you're gonna be so good (laughs) and i i don't have those things anymore but i can still feel like she's with me in those moments by slipping the wedding ring down in my pant pocket and, and then often what I'll do after a big occasion or an event, or I think we all have grown to understand, you know, what a calendar date is, you know, and I, I, I just call it a death anniversary because I'm, I'm, you know, what, what, you know, why not? 
you know, but whenever those, those things happen, in addition to, to lighting the Sioux candle, then I kept my very favorite t-shirt she ever wore. I, I just loved her in it. And, and to me, when, when I see that shirt, I, I think casual Sue, relaxed and at home and all that. And I have that. And I literally take that shirt out of the closet in the study I'm now sitting in. And I take it into the living room. And I put it on my chest. And I wrap my arms around it. And I talk to her while the candle's lit. And just say, thank thank you. I, I, weren't you grinning at the family being all together today? And 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 didn't you love it when when the six-year-old came up to me and said, Papa, you know I'm wearing red today because that was Amy's favorite color, right? And, and so I th that just it's it's okay to do that. And, and I just want people to know stuff like that because that may be just a very, maybe a Clark-ism, but I promise you, before I started therapy, I thought that kind of stuff was like weird voodoo. Like, what's wrong with these people, you know, that do stuff like this? And and now that's an, it's an anchor. It's literally an anchor in my life. And it's it, it's a touchstone to a way I feel like I can still be with her. And, and that means the world to me, because I don't know what the rest of my life is going to be like. But for, for now, I've had the greatest 38 plus year love story anybody could have. I am not looking. I don't think I will ever look. But man, just because she's not with me doesn't mean I still don't adore her and love her and enjoy talking to her, even if I don't get an answer. And, and I just wanted to share that with, with, with people because, again, if that's like a weird thing, I don't care because it helps me. And I'm the only one that I've really got to take care of first. Well, I think whether or not people want to admit it, I think that's pretty normal and something that a lot of us look to for comfort or reassurance or just a way of staying really close with our person. Nathan was really big into like watches. And so sometimes I'll wear one of his mm. favorite watches and just feel like, oh, he's with me today and we're off doing stuff together like we normally would. And I think that's a great way of trying to have that physical representation of them being with you or being able to speak with them. So I think that's great. All right. Well, any other ideas or advice that you all would share with the audience? I know we're coming up on time, but any last things that come to mind? One thing I'd say is if you're invited out to somewhere, arrive early. So if you're invited to a big party or something like that, arrive early so that you're not walking into a huge room of people, that you can say hello to people as they arrive. Also scope out the place so that if you need an escape there's somewhere you exit. can yeah. escape to just a quiet corner out in the garden walk around the block something like that so if you just need a moment you can just take that moment and as I said before say yes to things say no to things it's fine either is fine and go to things and then go home after an hour you've been you've done it you can now run away home if you want to. 
Oh yeah. Those, those are great ideas. One of the things I did during, I think Christmas and new year's was I told my family, you're welcome to come over and I'll hang out here and, and eat and I'll, I'll help put some of the things together, but I don't want to cook the main meal and I don't want to entertain you. So there would be times where I'd just go lay in my bedroom for a couple hours and take a nap or just, you know, as an introvert that needs to recharge those batteries, just have some of that away time. And then I'd go back out for a while and jump back into the conversation. But I think it's perfectly fine for you to have those escape moments and those plans for what you can do if you need to step away or you need to leave early. Those are some great tips. I think last thing I would just present to people is springs from my philosophy that tears know who they can trust. There's probably some people you just don't cry in front of. And there's other people you just can't almost help not. I think that's such a beautiful thing. And what I would wish for everybody that does that is please don't end that with, oh, I'm so sorry. No, mm-hmm. because that's something you're telling. You're, you're telling yourself something is wrong or you are wrong or you are bad. or And no, the tears know who they can trust. And there's so many of them that need to come out that if, if they do, that means you're with someone that your tears feel safe with and you probably don't need to apologize. And so I would much rather get through that and then tell somebody, thank you so much for being someone my tears can trust. Because that's a different internal dialogue than, I'm sorry, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cry. I'm di-. That's a totally different internal dialogue. And then I think that says something to that other person about your appreciation of their role in your life. Because let's face it, all of us are in a club we did not want membership in. Yeah. <laughs> But, oh, my gosh, the dues keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And and so, you know, when you can find those people that your tears are safe with, I, I literally think that's drops of grace. And, and you just need to accept that and not apologize for it and, and not beat yourself up for it. Yeah, that's definitely a great point. And what I try to tell and reiterate to people who support those who have lost someone is, you know, you can't make it better. There's nothing you can say. There's really nothing you, you can't, there's not anything you can tell them that's going to make them feel better. But if you'll just sit with them and let them be sad and just listen, then that you will be a hundred times more helpful than trying to give some platitude about them being in a better place or this being the plan and anything else that you can come up with. But I think it's hard because we want to comfort other people and we want to fix and we want to make things better. It's hard to be that person that can just be still and listen and sit in the awkwardness of letting that person let it all out. But it is so valuable when we find those people. All right. Well, thank you all so, so much for your time today and for your thoughts and your input. And I love seeing what all of you are doing to give back to people who are grieving and who have lost someone. So thank you for being givers of the world and we'll be sharing your information with all of our listeners.
Wow. What a great conversation with all of our panelists. If you're interested in learning more about them or something they said resonated with you, or if you know somebody who could benefit from learning more about them, please go check out their social media, check out their information that they shared. These folks really are givers out in the grief community. They help give input and provide back to folks who are hurting and grieving on a normalized basis. So please go out and support them, see what all they have to offer and share them with others you know who may benefit. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Brave Widow podcast. I would love to help you take your next step whether that's healing your heart, finding hope, or achieving your dreams for the future. Do you need a safe space to connect with other like-minded widows? Do you wish you had how-tos for getting through the next steps in your journey, organizing your life, or moving through grief? What about live calls where you get answers to your burning questions? The Brave Widow membership community is just what you need. Inside, you'll find courses to help guide you, a community of other widows to connect with, live coaching and Q&A calls, and small group coaching where you can work on what matters most to you. Learn how to heal your heart, find hope, reclaim joy, and dream again for the future. It is possible. Head on over to bravewidow.com to learn more.